Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. John Ortberg, a seasoned pastor, a prolific writer, one of my favorite authors, once said this. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Let me say that again. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, what is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day? That's a loaded question. That's a, that's a very serious question. And, and we have to really implore deeply within ourselves to answer that adequately. And I really do believe, I really am convinced that uh, it isn't immorality. It isn't corruption or debauchery. I'm not saying that these are absent in our generation, but above these things that we generally perceive as the, the, the demise or, or the, 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 the impairing mark of each generation, I believe that it is this notion of hurry and constant state of restlessness. And we are habitually too preoccupied to be still before God, and to not only acknowledge the presence of God, but to live out of the fullness of the presence of God in our lives. You know, the enemy is so intelligent, isn't he? Uh, he continues to evolve and figure out, figures out the most vulnerable areas of humans, and he mercilessly attacks them. He figures out what is the most effective weapon against the humanity and their pursuit of God and their relationship with God. And he he craftily attacks us over and over again. Today, you are far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your smartphone while you are struggling to read your Bible. As you are popping up the verse of the day on your Bible lap, Constantly, you're getting notices on your text messages or your, or your uh, uh, TikTok and Instagram alerts or Facebook alerts. Uh, for those of you three that are left on Facebook, including me, isn't it true that we are constantly bombarded by information? We're constantly being pulled away what it is that we're trying to engage intentionally. We're mindlessly pulled away over and over and over again. Let's throw in the Netflix as well, uh, Hulu TV, uh, for, for you Korean Americans, Vicky app, YouTube. Oh my gosh, YouTube is like, I'm ready to call YouTube the great enemy of this generation too. Like the YouTube, YouTube shorts, that's another level of the devil. You with me? Are you, are you, are you with me? I mean, YouTube, at least I have to be intentional in clicking who, who I subscribe. YouTube shorts, man, I have no control. The devil has all the control. I'm watching, researching, watching shorts on how to barbecue. Next thing I know, like, how to be a better husband. How do I get there? <laughs> God, are you, like, controlling these? Are you, like, are you looking into my heart right now? Are you aware of the argument that I just had with my wife? Who's listening? 
But it's this notion of that we're constantly being pulled away. I'm not, I'm not, just, I'm not just egging on us of the idea that our failure to attend to something diligently, but I'm saying, what about this? What about our children? What about our weekends? Guys, some of you are parents with young kids. We have been robbed of our weekends. I mean, I wish that more older people in my life have convinced me or told me of the reality of what our lives would be like having young kids. You know, our kids, uh, my older one played soccer growing up. Uh, ASO, um, uh, what is it? I really forgot the, ac- the legit acronym. All I know is all your Saturdays out. Okay, that's what ASO is for. I think it's a youth soccer program, but it's, it stands for all your Saturdays out. Some of you guys are planning to sign up your kids for a soccer program. Good luck. Uh, you may not have a life for the next five, six years on Saturdays. But it's this constant attention that we're constantly attending ourselves to something, someone, devices, programs, events, the birthday parties. Why are there so many birthday parties? Why are there so many humans in our lives that we have to celebrate over and over again? Come on now. Are you with me? And we, we wrestle with like, man, we, I don't want to like define our relationship again if I say click no on that invite, right? You, you don't want to be like shunned, right? So you have to attend all of these things. But all of these things are serving as a conduit of pulling us away where we are mindfully attending to God. It's so true that someone once said that if the devil can't uh, make you sin, he will make sure to keep you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he will make sure that you are busy. Carl Jung, Carl Jung, however you pronounce, a famous psychologist and an author once said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. I think it's so true. You know, when we greet each other, even nowadays, you know, we say a lot of things, but what is the most common response that we give to each other, even in the context of church? Even this morning, say, how are you, man? What is the most common response that we give to other people? Say, yeah, man, just busy, just busy with life. I mean, it's incredible. If you want people to not ask you more about your life, that's the line. You say you're busy. Guess what? When, when we hear it, it's like, ooh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know about what you're going through. Are you kidding me? I'm busy with what I'm going through. There's no way that I'm genuinely interested in about the busyness, busy life of somebody else. So when we hear the words busy, like we are initially like, ooh, we empathize, right? Because we ourselves are always busy. And then we protect ourselves that, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, man, I don't want none of that because I'm already full. My cup is already full. I'm already busy. I'm, again, here you go. I'm already preoccupied with all the things that I have to do. And the crazy and sad thing is that we tell ourselves the moment we say we are busy, I don't know about you, but we somehow excuse ourselves from the things that we must attend to. When we say we are busy, we, put all, we push all the tasks, all of our responsibilities to the top of the list of, my, of our life bucket. And we are suddenly okay with not attending to our relationship with God, 
the spiritual things of our lives. So busyness sometimes excuses us from a lot of things. You see, it's really true. Hurry is the greatest enemy to spiritual life, and the enemy keeps on winning. I want to share a passage, a paragraph of the book that I had read about 20 years ago when I was a, a young seminarian. I can't believe that it's been 20 years since I graduated seminary. But I remember it was the last quarter of my seminary life and that I was led to take this class called spiritual discipline. I think now, since then, the term is now spiritual formation. So the seminarians like um, Pastor Daniel and David in our house, when they went through school, they learned the term spiritual formation. Pastor Tavis, is that you too? But in my days, it was spiritual discipline. Um, and we were uh, told to read this book. Um, he's a Catholic priest and a famous, famous writer, guy named Ronald Rollheiser. And this is what he said in the book, The Holy Longing. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth reading together. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, death, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I mean, listen to the description here. This is the part that got me. We have nothing against God. It's just that we are habitually preoccupied. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual. It's crazy how accurate that description is of our generation today. We don't, if I were to really ask each and every one of us, even churchgoers, we have nothing against God. What God has to convey to us, oh, we good. I'm open to that. Oh, God, come into my life. Spirit, I invite you into my heart. We have no problems with that. But what it is that, that that's not the issue that we're struggling with. It's that, that, that's that there's no room now. We're constantly preoccupied. We are more busy than we are bad. We are more distracted than non-spiritual. And I contend, whatever activities, whatever devices, whatever uh, technological advances and, and, and benefits out there, I'm not knocking on them. In and them uh, they then in themselves are neutral. I would say even they are good. It, but it's the preoccupation with these things will lead us to really, really bad state in our spiritual lives. It's not that they themselves are bad, but it's what's there, what these are preventing us from getting access to, which are spiritual things, things that pertain to our faith lives, things that incite spiritual maturity and growth. 
First of all, before I go uh, uh, any further, do you recognize this to be true in our lives? I mean, can you, can you say yes? Can, is it difficult for us to admit? I have nothing against God. I love God. I want to grow in God. I want to love God. But can we agree together collectively that, but it is so stinking hard because we can't seem to focus meaningfully on God. We can't seem to allocate enough time for us to be influenced, for us to be impacted by the love and grace of our God. Other than Sundays, other than YouTube channels where we occasionally tune in to church services, we can't even seem to read the Bible. When was the last time that you picked the physical Bible and read? I'm going to give you a very simple task for you guys. I challenge some of you guys to find where your Bible is. Because it's been a while. And we tell ourselves, well, I, I, I use through the smartphones. I, I read through my tablet. I, I read on my phone. I do that sometimes too, but it gets so hard because I'm just a click. I'm just a button away from opening up my other apps. I'm just a, a tap away from opening up the next message that I had received. Can you see that distractedness or busyness is the greatest enemy to spiritual life today for you and for me? And I keep coming back to this phrase that we are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested. Pathological busyness distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. And my one simple proposition for all of us today, this morning, as we listen to the Word of God, is that we need to bring back, or we need to bring the practice of silence. Discipline of silence. Let me read for you again the passage for today's sermon Psalm 42, Psalm 42, right? 46, I must really love 42. 46, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. And the next phrase, the Lord Almighty is with us. The Hebraic understanding of being still, that word is rafa. It's not the, the healing word which we tend to get mistaken with. That's not the word. It's another word being still. It means to cast down, to let fall, or to let hang down. Uh, has more specifically to do with the concept of let your hands fall to the ground. Let your hands fall face down and drop whatever it is that you have in your hands. Drop, more importantly, drop whatever task that you have at hand you let go. That word being still has a connotation of you not working, you stopping, you not putting forth any exertion. Now, interestingly, in that state, in that state, in that state of emptiness, in that state of conceding whatever it is that you are doing, in the place of your effort and striving, in that precise moment, acknowledge that God is present. When you are silent, when you are still, 
When your hands have been emptied and you're not exerting any kind of work, in that moment, you're acknowledging that God is working. You're acknowledging that God is faithful. God is loving. God is gracious to you. In that stillness, in that silence, you become overwhelmed. You become infused by the power of the presence of God. It's crazy as the, as the psalmist right here, he must have had some kind of like social media. He must have had a smartphone back in the day. He must have some like comic books that he was reading that he was like, he was binging on Netflix. He's like, the only way that we can properly acknowledge God is that when we empty our hands and we are silent and we're still. That is precisely the moment when you know that God, not, not only just God, the almighty God is with us, the God of Jacob, our fortress. This is so counterintuitive of what we as human beings want to do. When we have a task at hand, when we're fighting our enemies, when we're fighting our battles, when our life is a crazy hot mess, there's conflict that we have to win, what do we do? We have to do more. We have to do, make sure that we're doing all that we can. We have to busy ourselves. But all throughout scriptures, God is saying, be still. Do you remember when Moses led the Israelites out of Israel? All two millions of them, all two million complaining people, grumbling people, young and old, hungry, they're hangry, they're, they're, they're just a hot mess. They're running away from the Egyptians, maybe not like this, but they're running away, and the hot Egyptian uh, army are behind them, the most powerful army in that day. Think about it. They come across, shortly into their hike, and they come across a sea, an ocean, guys. You know, I, I read, uh, I, I saw like a quick picture on, on the internet this past week as I was preparing. Like, we think like when the Red Sea parted, right, like, all of the cartoon pictures, we think we, the Red Sea is like it parted like to our height. That's what we think. And we forget how deep the oceans are, right? We forget exactly how deep the Red Sea is. When God parted, when they were walking into the sea, they weren't worried about, man, it, when we go about water this deep, it's going to really slow us down. We're talking about they could not cross because if the ocean, if it were to bottom out, it will be how tall? I don't know. I don't have any scientists. I'm going to just randomly throw out. I think it's going to be about 50 feet deep. Meaning by the time that God parted the Red Sea, we have on either side when they were walking at least 50 feet of water just standing. Are you with me? You know what God said to Moses? You know what God said to the Israelites in that precise moment? Be still. Guys, chill out. Be silent. Don't panic. Don't talk. Don't fret. Don't freak out. Be still. Because I, the Lord your God, am with you. That's crazy. He says, be still. Fast forward thousands of years. Jesus is ministering. He's doing a lot of cool things. He's He's the, he's the influencer, right, as, as a, you know, as he's, he's making an impact, and he's walking on water, 
right? They're in the boat. What does Jesus do? He says, just guys, calm down. When everyone on the boat was freaking out, yelling, screaming at the top of their lungs, Jesus says, be still. Do not talk. Lower your hands. Drop whatever it is in your hands and fix your eyes on me, engage me, and let my reality take over whatever scene that you are in. Are you with me so far? The NSB version, it says, Seize striving and know that I am God. Seize striving. We're constantly trying things. We're constantly working. We're constantly moving. And what's preventing us from encountering God more meaningfully is that we simply need to stop doing so many things. We need to simply stop thinking about so many things. Let the reality of God in our lives just take over right now. It's then and only then when all of our anxieties, all of our fears, all of our worries will dissipate in the presence of our God. So today, again, I implore you for you to stop striving and we need to stop We need to remain silent before the Lord and a whole lot more. You know, I'm just just old enough to remember this thing from the late 90s or the early 90s we called boredom. Uh, When we would uh, take a flight across the country, you know, I'd never flown a a first class, so there's no TV, there's no small screen in front of you. You know, the only thing you can do is you pick up a book, uh, obviously, you, you read for a few minutes and you fall asleep or you look out the window. There, there's, there was nothing else to do. There was no smartphone, you know. Like at best, you, you pick up some magazines you read, and oftentimes it was very common that you, you stare blankly to the seat ahead of you or you look out the window. That's why the window seat was very popular back in the day because you want to be able to look out the window and you have, at least you have something to do. What about like when you took family road trips? This was actually a thing. We would go to San Francisco. And we had nothing to do. We had nothing. No Netflix, no phone. Game Boy didn't even come out until much later in my life. Game Boy was like, that thing was so fat. I swear I could have nailed like nails with that. It was so heavy, like great. Oh my gosh, what is this, a hardware or a toy? Game Boy came out later, but when we took family road trips, what did we do? You stare at the window. You stare and you, you think about everything possible as a 13-year-old, which was only like five, six things. And you repeat. One time I was so bored, I was riding the back of the van. Uh, you know the, the cigarette lighter was a stock uh, component? I didn't know what it was. I took it. I pushed it. I took it out. I stared at it. I put my finger on it. It burned, it smoked up. Couldn't say anything because I was scared. I might get in trouble. Like boredom was a, a like legit thing, guys. We forget that. But you, you know, like, you know what was good, though, in those moments? You had so much time to think. 
you had so much time to stop and engage and actually discern, even as a young person, that feelings were a legit thing. Thoughts were a legit thing. You know why I think like one of the most vulnerable areas in this generation is that we, we call it the, 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 the fruitcake or the, the, the cupcake generation. We're so soft, right? Do you guys ever heard that? Is that too offensive? Like, I'm, st- I'm talking about like younger Gen Z. <laughs> the generation after you. Let's talk about the generation after you, right? Like cu- we call it the cupcake generation. It's like you get so offended. You get like everything. You're like, oh, you know why? Because I think we haven't had proper, we don't have the emotional fortitude because we haven't explored, we haven't implored enough about what's discerning, what's in within us. I mean, again, like this ability to contemplate, to hear our own thoughts and, and be in tune with our feelings. I'm not against these technolo- technologies. I'm not against like, you know, smart features. I wouldn't ever go back to the boredom of the past, but I'm saying there's always two sides of a coin, right? But in in, in exchange for convenience and technology, we had conceded a whole lot of what God has gifted us, the practice and the presence of silence, this notion of being still before God. All those little moments of boredom were potential portals to prayer. These were little moments throughout our days to wake up to the reality of God all around us. When we were waiting for a cup of coffee at not even Starbucks, guys. Starbucks came later. Come on. It's a grind in Lamarad. I used to go to that one. No name. When Boba Loca hit the thing, I mean, there was no smartphones. When you were waiting for coffee, you had to, like, stare into blank walls. You had to think about what's happening. And if you're courageous enough, you had to talk to strangers. Crazy. But now all of these little moments have been robbed from us because we can't for a second sit still. John Mark Comer the author that I mentioned earlier said this, to wake up to our own souls, to draw our mind's attention, and with it, devotion back to God, to come off the hurry drug and come home to awareness. Let me say that again, guys. To come off the hurry drug and come home to awareness. Folks, I'm telling you, some of you guys' awareness have been murdered. In the past few years, there's no awareness. There's no moment of recognition or intuition, hardly ever. We're constantly busy. We're constantly attending to things. The second we feel a, even a hint of boredom or emptiness, we reach for smartphones. We stimulate us even more. The most holy places in our lives, the shower, the bathroom, the toilet, you know what? We have pervaded it. We're bringing our phones into these places. Come on now, you know, some of us are guilty. A lot of us are guilty now. Bathroom was the most profound places of thinking where we would reflect. We would reevaluate what happened throughout the day. But now that part has been 
invaded by what smartphones. I'm just being real, guys. Sometimes, I mean, and I tell, I, I set this rule for my kids, and I found my kids, you know, when they're showering on weekends, whatever, like, you know, I, we only allow devices on the weekends for the kids. So and one time I saw my son, like, showering with an with a, with a iPad up. I'm like, what the? They're like, are you kidding me? And I told him to say, say, hey, man. Oh, he's not here. He's not here, right? I have to make sure that he's not here. <laughs> so I told him, hey, starting next week, no videos, no iPad in the shower. So like, good. He's complying. He just listens to music, right? And then I thought, what a brilliant idea. I could watch something <laughs> when I'm shy. <laughs> so, no, no, I'm, I'm just being real, guys. And then, like, usually when you're showering, right, like four or five minutes, you know, like sometimes for me two minutes because I have nothing, I don't. That's a moment where I can just really hear myself. That's a moment where we pray. I often sing worship songs. But now, like, the phone's on. Ooh, the Netflix is on. YouTube short is, it, like, we've become that. You know, since writing this, that last paragraph, when I was doing this, I had checked two text messages. I checked my email, both personal and church. I, I logged on to my favorite game on my phone, Tower Clash or Clash Towers. I beat two rounds. I, it's crazy. Guys, we need to chill. And I wonder if God is up there saying, would you just for a second, literally just a second, chill out, man. Can you just be still and look to me? Can you, don't even say anything and give me some attention? And I wouldn't be surprised in the past 10 minutes as I was giving this message if some of you folks, folks are checking your text messages, World Cup scores, your fantasy football team, all of those things. I know who you are. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Everyone. Some of you guys are like itching like, oh my gosh, I need to take this phone out, but Scott wouldn't shut up about this smartphone thing. <laughs> but that, that's us, right? I'm saying like that we have become that. And, and while, like, the goal isn't to just be lost in this great demise, but I'm saying we need to be a lot more intentional about finding God in the little moments and the many moments in our own lives. Because God has not stopped speaking. God has not, being, God has not stopped being present in the Word. God has not stopped engaging us throughout the day. God is there with us in the shower. God is there when we're getting a cup of coffee. God is there when we begrudgingly check into our work and sit at our office desk. God is still there. God is still speaking. God is still loving. God is still pouring out His grace all over us. It's not that God is speaking. It's that are we listening? Are we intentional about receiving from him? And what breaks my heart is that we don't even know how sick we are. 
We don't even know how damaged we are anymore. We have accepted this as a norm. We have even succeeded in telling ourselves it's because of the pandemic. Oh, it's because we have what we've gone through the last three years. It's because the life is crazy. It's because, you know, I, I'm busy with, it's because of the kids. We have never, in humanity, as humanity, we have never been without sin. We have never been without calamities. We have never been without disasters. But sometimes we give these reasons. And we make no room or less room for God. My simple submission to you today, would you join me in being still and knowing that God is God? Let me quote the scriptures more accurately. Be still and know that I am God. So what can we do? What shall we do? And here's my practical um, assignment or task for us to participate together. And my challenge to you in the coming week is this. Be alone and be quiet. I don't know how to say this nicely. Let me say that again. Let me say that with a smile at least. In this coming week, I'm challenging all of us, let's be alone and be silent. Be quiet. Be alone and be quiet. I know it's so hard. The crazy thing is, None of you guys are opposed to this. We want alone time. Come on, somebody. Come on, you parents. We want alone time. We want quietness. Absolutely. If we would just, just stop talking. I just, we want that. I'm, but my challenge to you is that I'm putting the onus on you. You find the time and space to be alone. And you find the time and the space to be quiet. Amen? Can you guys do that with me? Would you do that with me this week? Yes or no? Yes. I like, I like feedbacks. I like it when the congregation talks to me when I preach. Not every preacher is like that, but I like it when you guys talk to me. Be alone and be silent. I'm not going to go over uh, the details here, but Jesus was the master of being alone and being quiet. And he, for some reason, had discovered that this was absolutely necessary. I mean, I'm not going to cite all the first references. I can share with you later. But whenever he had to prepare for a major task, right, he resorted by himself. He remained silent. 
Whenever he had to recharge after hard work, Mark 6, 30, 32, sent away the 12 disciples and Jesus, what do we find him doing? He removed himself from the crowd and he spends time alone in prayer. Before making an important decision, he's found what? Separating from the disciples and he's by himself praying, being still before God. To simply focus in prayer, Jesus said this right before he went to the cross. He took his four best friends and said, hey, man, you guys stay over here. I'm going to go even deeper into the mountain. And he's found on knees praying by himself. He was communing intimately with the Father himself. All I'm saying, if Jesus found it important for him to withdraw, be alone, and to be quiet before God, how much more would you need to do the same? I'm just saying, Jesus was God, right? I mean, he thought that was important. And we think, oh, we good, we don't need that. All I'm saying, if Jesus did that, we should probably do that too. Being still and being quiet. It's crazy. I used to think like, Wilderness or Jesus, whenever he withdrew, I, I used to think like that was a place of like weakness. Wilderness is often associated with trials, difficulties, like there's like heat, rocks, no plants, only snakes. The, the animals that we don't like, they got scorpions are there. Like that's wilderness. Like we, we often think about a wilderness as like a place of like we don't want to be there, right? Moses spent 40 years in wilderness. Oh, man, that, we don't want that. But you know what else is true about the wilderness? The wilderness is a place of strength and power. Jesus, whenever he came out of the wilderness, whenever he came out of the place of aloneness and quietness, what do you find Jesus doing? Yeah, incredible stuff. He fought the devil 40 days without food and water. He came out of that. I think that empowered him to minister for the next three years. When you are diligent being alone and being silent before God, know that that's where your power comes from. When you're spending time in prayer, in your prayer closet, none of you guys have prayer closets. We don't have prayer closets anymore. When you cut off the private time of prayer, you come out more powerful. The first superhero movie that I watched growing up was Superman. When Clark Kent was busy, office, he would run to the phone booth. When he comes out, the blue suit, the red cape, and he's like, boom, immediately. Immediately. Know that that's us. When we spend private time with God, Spend enough time in prayer. When we come out of the prayer closet, check this out, guys. Oof. (laughs) Feel the power. The power is not absent in you. You are simply not accessing it. So, let me get more practical. Since reading this book, since going through 10 weeks of spiritually, uh, 
emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, and the biggest thing that I implemented during my three months of sabbatical leave was that I absolutely was intentional and I, was, I disciplined myself into the practice of being alone and being silent. That is one of the biggest benefits. I know Mondays are pastor's day off, whatever, you know, but I, I look forward to Mondays, not because, like, I don't want to see my kids at home, you know, not because, like, I'm the only one in my house, and I love that, because at least four or five hours on Monday, I absolutely disconnect myself from everything. I don't talk to anyone. I don't attend to my emails. Uh, even text message, I, I just physically leave the phone. And some of you guys have been courageous enough to message me on Mondays. I'm not ghosting you. I'm not hating on you. You know, we don't need to detail. We good. You know, it's just that that's my time off. I'm just saying, like, blanking my mind, being still before God. And I'm encouraging you guys to do the same. If four hours is too much, you could certainly do that for one hour a week. If you're not even doing that, if you're saying you can't, I can't, I can't help you anymore. I can't help you as a pastor to help you mature and grow spiritually. You can't give that one hour intentionally. It's going to be a bunch of nothing. Like you come on Sunday, we come Sunday, we sing, but we go back to the same thing. You're basically saying like, I could get a personal trainer, but I'm going to, I'm going to eat every day at 12 a.m. Because I love pizza. And hot dogs, Taco Bell speaks to me at midnight. I can't help you. My encouragement to you, one hour a week. Let's start one hour. And here's my challenge. Leave your phone. Leave your family. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. You keep looking at me. Leave your kids. Leave your kids. Leave your kids for one hour. Do it after the kids go to bed. But absolutely be alone. And can I make a crazy suggestion? Don't turn on praise music. Don't open the Bible. At best, have a journal with you. And this is what I found. When I listened to praise music, when I had the Bible open, these two also serve as a stimulus for me. When I read the Bible, and I have a separate time for that. But when I read the Bible, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, what am I going to get out of this? When I listen to praise music, I'm bit, oh, my gosh. Are you, like, I'm a, I'm a worshiper. So when there's, like, praise music going on, like, I'm always singing, right? But I get lost in that. That's not me being still. There's a time for, stop, Scott. <laughs> there's a time, there's a time where you need to be absolutely still. And this is what happens when you are not reading, when you're just silent. You know what happens? You begin to see all that's in your heart. You begin to all these floating thoughts, the worries come to surface. In those moments, I'm encouraging you not to pray. Don't pray. Don't quote me incorrectly, okay, guys? Scott says don't read the Bible. Don't pray. Don't even worship. Come on, context, y'all. In those moments, don't even pray. I want you guys to be able to see what comes out of you. We're so busy giving to God, and even when we pray, we already have what we ha say. 
We're not really discerning when we pray out loud all the time. But when you're silent, when you're still, oh, many things come out. And I want you guys to be able to sense that. When you genuinely sense what's brewing out of you, no one has to tell you that, man, you need to pray. When you are so in tune with yourself, when you hear your own voices, no one ever has to tell you, go to, go to church now. No one has to nag you like, oh, go to the block meeting. Be, stop being a hermit. No one has to tell you that. God is speaking to you when you're silent, when you're still before him. That's not an easy task for some of us, for many of us. I understand. But if you're serious about growing in the Lord, if you're serious about taking the next step, I'm saying if you're serious about eventually reading, it, reading the Bible and praying one day, I think it needs to start here. I would honestly say this takes priority over reading the Word. Because you know why? Reading the Word takes time. Reading one chapter a day, some of you guys are, I can't do it. I understand. But it's, it starts with setting aside deliberate time. By the way, I'm, I'm going through the, uh, the Gospel of Luke in the month of December. Because it's, it's Christmas is coming, and I just want to be familiar with that. And some of you guys have been asking, Scott, where do I start? I would encourage you if, you, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, join me reading through the Gospel of Luke. Crazy. I'm breaking all the rules today, guys. Don't even start chapter 1. Start chapter 4 because it's easier because that helps us. Sometimes we miss a day. Let's match it. Okay, I know, I know us. Tomorrow, read chapter 5 because it's December 5th, all right? But read through one chapter, devotion. I'm setting aside my time because when you do that, God is going to come meet you. One last quote, and that's it. Maybe Pastor Daniel... Lead us, man, that worship was so good. We're Dallas Willard, the great Dallas Willard, the great Christian mind, the modern Christian philosopher of our time, he said this, silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. It reminds us of death, which will cut us off from this world and leave us, only us and God. Silence could be perceived as frightening. Being alone could stress you. That can make you nervous. Let us, you and me together, embrace these fears and risks because in those moments God will speak to us some of us struggle with certain vices in our lives we have sins that we can't seem to overcome we have tried and tried again it's not happening we have tried to grow on our own. We have Bible reading plans. But when we make it out of like someone, I should do these things because I want to be better, whatever, I think that only lasts for so long. 
I'm very confident when you're still before the Lord, you get a better glimpse of the heart of God. Oh man, the Father heart of God. That's it. And and I pray that we will see God this week. I pray that we will hear God together in a way that we haven't in recent past.